You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. This week, Angela Bassett asks, what's a vampire got to do with it? Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam Thomas, and evil is good! And I'm Thomas Mariani, you know what they say, Adam. Big wheels keep on turning, proud Mariani keep on burning. Just rolling, rolling. Rolling down the river. Well, for all the listeners that we've had that have now decided to leave, uh, stop listening. Thank you. All our Thank patrons you. are gone. Yeah. Thank all you over. for uh, listening up until this point. <laughs> I'll be playing in Vegas in hotels, everybody. Tip your waitresses, <laughs> try the feel. But yeah, we are back here for Double Edge, Double Bill. And uh, we're in for a topic that uh, we kind of cobbled together a bit last minute. You know, because uh, we were originally going to do Meryl Streep. On this particular episode, as we announce on our socials and stuff. Uh, don't worry, Meryl, we'll get back to you. I know you're a proud listener. Love listening yep. every week. We'll yep. get back to you, don't worry, for sure. But uh, we decided, you know, given stuff that's been going on recently, we figured, you know, let's maybe cover some voices particularly of color that we haven't done. Especially, we've never done, you know, a black actress before. And we uh-huh. figured, you know what, it's about time. We probably did that. And one that we've been brewing on doing for quite some time has been Angela Bassett who we are pretty big fans of. Yeah, definitely. We and, and, and for another reason, too, we always wanted to make sure, unless it's someone very prolific like when they pass away, we try to definitely always maybe stick to the more character actor stuff because uh, it might shine a light on a performance that you might not have seen or someone you might not have paid attention to before. And, I mean, she definitely fits that bill as well. Oh, yeah. De- as I would say until, like, Ryan Murphy kind of resurrected her career fairly recently... She's mm-hmm. always been a very undervalued actress before that. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think so. I mean, she had a couple, like, you know, things that were sort of where she was the leading role. You know, one of them tonight we're talking about. But, like, mm-hmm. that awful supernova and stuff like that where she shared the lead role and stuff. And it just never caught on for her, unfortunately. Or her being completely wasted. Like, remember how she was technically the first live-action Amanda Waller? Yep. Green Lantern? <laughs> Yep. <laughs> oh, but she did have what's it called? And that was a pre- like uh, how Stella got her groove back, and that was a pretty big hit. Right, right. Yeah, she had, or um, like a waiting to exhale. That's become a meme mm-hmm. now of her with the burning car and shit. Where was the first time you discovered her, though? Uh probably what's love got to do with it. To be honest, right. It's a bit hard to like exactly pinpoint because I was like looking through her filmography because I was trying to find it, and it suddenly just dawned upon me. Um, remember the old 90s Jackson 5 miniseries? Yeah. yeah and yeah, she yeah. was their mom? Oh, that's right, she was. That was it, because that played so much on VH1 when I was a kid. Yeah, was it fucking Billy D? Uh, what's his name? Uh, Barry Gordy? Yeah, Barry, Barry Gordy, right, the Motown guy, yeah, yeah. Um, but I just remember specifically, there's that one bit where Angela Bassett finds out that, um, Joe Jackson's been cheating on her. And she just comes in, she's like, I heard her on the phone, and I don't want you no more, and starts throwing shit at her. <laughs> I just remember that specific moment is like, oh, this lady's great, and I've been seeing her, obviously, ever since. And, uh, you know, we just really wanted to celebrate her, especially where we got our traditional good and bad feature, where, if you're new to the show, every week, uh, Adam and I, at the end of an episode, pick a good and bad feature, uh, based on we each have two uh, choices of that particular quality. And uh, we end up randomly picking. And so your good choice ended up being uh, what's love got to do with it. And my bad choice ended up being Vampire in Brooklyn. Yes, and in hindsight, I realized it's not, it's one of the very few bi- biopics we've done. Right, that's true. We'll, we'll definitely get into that as we uh, go ahead and just jump into what's love got to do with it. All she ever wanted was a chance to make her dreams come true. Does every woman in here want to sing with Ike's band? Oh, please don't leave me there. 
everyone who's come up with me has left me. I wouldn't do that. I'll give it all up. Just release the claim on my name. It means you're going to walk out of here with absolutely nothing. Except my name. So, What's Love Got to Do With It? Uh, came out June 25th, 1993, and uh, is based on the biography of Tina Turner. So, it's partially autobiography, along with Kurt Loder wrote that book, which I didn't know, which was interesting. From MTV? Yeah, from MTV. Co-wrote it with her. Oh, I, good for him. And obviously, we're both Tina Turner fans in general, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I'd still say that her James Bond theme is probably my all-time favorite James Bond theme ever. And plus, you know, she's anti-entity. And... Right, exactly. Anti-entity. <laughs> yeah. um, and I guess I realized I'm more familiar with sort of that, like, comeback era, which I didn't really know, like, the whole outline of her career was, like, discovered by an Ike Turner and then ended up kind of touring with him for a while and then got her own solo career and then oh. kind of faded off because of, like, all the legal stuff with, obviously, Ike and then ended up having her comeback. And I wanted to at least start off with a bit of fun trivia. Um, do you know who her saxophone slash keyboardist was during this time, her comeback era? Yeah, it's the dude from The Lost Boys. Yeah, it's the dude from The Lost Boys. Yeah, it's t- uh, Tim Capello or whatever t- his name is. Tim Capello, right, which I was amazed by. And I didn't he realize still he was... Believes. Al- right, I didn't also realize he also was the guy who did the saxophone like Beyond Thunderdome. Like, yeah. especially in the music video, which is my favorite part of that music video. Yeah, I love that fucking guy. <laughs> and did you see him at the end during the concert footage? I don't think I was paying attention, to be honest, to that yeah, part. He, when, you, when you see Tina Turner there, he's briefly there just, like, playing the fucking keyboard, just like, yeah, we're doing this, Tina. Which is he all oiled dude, up and shit? Yeah, oh, he's, he looks like it. He, he wears, oh, like, shit. the same mesh fucking shirt every single time. Um, and, and that dude's had such a weird career, too, if you look into him. Like, he played with, uh, like, Carly Simon and uh, even, like, Billy Crystal when he went touring in his early years. It's weird. That dude's yeah, had a fascinating yeah. career. Um, I guess I want to start off with that fun fact, because... Uh, it's about to get really shitty, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> content, uh, anybody who might be um, sort of, like, uh, triggered by any kind of issues of, like, spousal abuse or... Rape? Rape, right, anything like that. Uh, we're talking about the what's all got to do with it, which has, unfortunately, a lot of that. Yeah, it's a really uh, sort of uh, dour movie, if you want to call it that. Which, to be fair, was something that was at least partially based in truth. I know that a lot of people have spoken out about like this kind of being inaccurate. Obviously, Ike, which I didn't trust necessarily to be that <laughs> no. truthful. But even Tina has said as much. Like She only watched it fairly recently, apparently, the movie, yeah. and w- did feel like they embellished a lot of stuff. As you mentioned before, we haven't talked about a lot of biopics on our show. Mm. Um, and I do kind of feel like uh, this fits a lot of the same issues and sort of plot stuff with like your average music biopic, especially. Yeah. Yeah, and I think sometimes to like an almost defensive territory when we kind of get into those issues. But um, this was your pick, Adam. So uh, why'd you pick this one in particular? Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, he's he's pretty good. He, he's <laughs> fucking so. I mean, honestly, that's why I picked it. He's so fucking good in it. I mean, this is he's just God. Is he good? You hate him so much, yeah. and I mean the way he talks, his swagger, the outfits, like that fucking belt buckle that's like a hand. I mean, it's just, he's he's so good in it. And, I mean, and plus, she's really good in it, too, as far, especially in, like, the singing scenes and the dancing and all that. I mean, it's, it's, it is your standard biopic fare, mm-hmm. uh, especially, like you said, musical biopic. But it's not one that I watch, like, well, frequently, obviously, because of the subject matter. But I don't groan at it a lot, like I do some of the other ones. No, like, right. I think I think it's a lot on the strength of those two. Um, mm-hmm. I think for Bassett, especially, I was amazed to find out that she didn't actually record her vocals for this because she got hired like pretty late in the process of production, and so mm-hmm. she ended up saying like, "I'm not going to be able to match Tina." But be- so actually, have Tina record my vocals again. <laughs> like all of wow. them are re-recorded by Tina. All the vocals in the mm-hmm. movie, along with Fishburne, um, has- doing the Ike stuff, which is pretty spot on, honestly. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good, man. Yeah, but even then, like, Bassett still is able to, like, belt out stuff, like, right from the moment where they do the very cliche thing of, like, Ike discovers her in the crowd at the bar where they play, and everyone's like, uh-huh. is somebody gonna come up? Who could possibly come up? And she does. Yeah, I mean, again, you gotta figure, the last time I saw this was quite a while ago, and I watched it with my uncle, who's a huge Tina Turner fan. 
So it was probably a bit of his excitement, too, that, like, really made me remember this movie. Like, oh, man, it's really good. Watching it again, it's okay. It runs through the paces, like, pretty much every standard, like we said, musical biopic since and maybe even before. Yeah, and we kind of revisited this one. I think the last time we did one of these was, like, a Bohemian Rhapsody, which, for the record, this is, like, thousands of times better than oh. at least. Oh. <laughs> that's not saying a lot. Um oh. But but then I think it has some similar issues in terms of not just like the standard like oh here's the exact plotting of everyone where it's like she's a little girl and she's playing in church and everyone's like you can't do it and she's like I can and then she ends up rising above that challenge and then she gets famous and then she has a form of at least like some adversity to get over though I feel like it's weird how they kind of treat they they basically do that standard formula but plug it instead of like drug addiction or alcoholism with like Ike Turner in general which feels like at times like it makes sense obviously given the structure of the story but at other times it feels kind of exploitative yeah I, I mean I agree the, this, there's a couple scenes that I mean one in particular when she's in the uh, studio and everybody leaves and he comes in yeah uh, then I'm like this, is, this isn't necessary you've already seen him do it several times so I, I didn't just see it as many times as they did it. So yeah, I definitely agree. It doesn't make it any less visceral. Like it's still like hard to watch and shocking, but then it gets to the point where it doesn't feel like it's needed to tell the story anymore. And there, there's things that I wish they kind of would have delved into a little bit more, even like maybe her switch to Buddhism and that relationship that she had with that other woman and things like that. They could have maybe expanded on some some things more. No, I, I completely agree with that, because I liked that sort of changeover, and it feels like they're kind of rushing to finish the movie at that point, um, in a way that's kind of detrimental. And because especially it's like her rise up, it's done a lot, basically over like a montage, which feels like a bummer. But at the same time, to, to really praise especially Bassett, what I like is she's even able to overcome some of these cliches of the biopic, like her and Fishburne were early on. Like, it's always a problem when like you have, say, the actor who's supposed to be playing them at their, like, standard age, play them when they're younger. And Bassett manages to make herself at least feel a lot more sort of, like, youthful and naive in a way that's believable, even though mainly she has, like, little bags and stuff like that that make her mm-hmm. really feel like, oh, you're not, like, a teenager going no, to this right. bar or whatever. No, but she at least has some, like, a, that youthful fun. Like, I love the scenes where she's with her mother. That's another thing, by yeah. the way, I would love to see. So it's like, this whole relationship with her mother is so fascinating, where it's like, oh, she left, and then she came back. And it's like explained over just a line of dialogue from Jennifer Lewis about like, look, I'm back here, and it's fine, I'm sorry I fucked up, but we're here. Yeah, right, and exactly. It's like, wait, why don't you go into that? That's actually very interesting. <laughs> no, I agree with you. They did do a good job, though, of making her feel younger, either through costuming or the way she had her hair or something. Like, it worked for her. Lawrence Fishburne, on the other hand, looks like Ike found the fountain of youth. Like, that dude doesn't age. He's got his own Lazarus pit. That's true. You know what I mean? Uh, it is but, also very interesting, because this is not too long after um, your other pick that we almost did Boys in the Hood, where he plays, like, a father figure. Oh, God. He's so good in that movie, too. He's so great in that movie. And that's also weird that you had two Fishburne Bassett collaborations. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Look at you yeah. with the big brain. <laughs> a to B, big brain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I agree with you about the 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 problems with where they should have maybe just kept it, not kept it, but expanded upon more. Also, with her personal strife with her own family, and not just purely her and Ike. Like I get why they focused a lot on the Tina Ike stuff because that's. You know, that's the sort of... That's the bread and butter of the salaciousness. Yeah, 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 right. And that's the stuff that people want to see back then, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and especially Tina Turner's, unfortunately, she's always going to kind of be known as this abused woman who who rose up and had a stellar fucking career without her abuser. I mean, she was big. She was Tina Turner, but she wasn't how you, Tina Turner's viewed today, where she's like, she's a fucking legend. Right. So, I mean, at this time, it's, you know, 90, you got to figure this movie came out, what, 93? Right. So, it was probably being filmed in 91, 92 area, around there being set up. So, it's like, this was all still kind of new. So, it was the stuff that people had just found out about. It was only a couple years past since it had happened. So, I get why they would focus on that and people would want to see that. But I think it did a disservice sort of to her personal legacy 
as it is. No, yeah, I, I think that's that's definitely a, a bummer about the movie, especially because more importantly, I didn't get to see Angela Bassett do Auntie Entity cosplay. I think that's what mm-hmm. we all wanted, really. Absolutely. Yeah. I completely sure. agree with you. Um, even though she had a bit of that at the end with the giant blonde hair. The, the well, that's just wig. classic Tina Turner. Well, that's classic Tina Turner. But it's like, yeah. that's all right, you're like one-fourth of the way there. Yeah, just shave the sides. Shave right. the sides. <laughs> Put on chain mail, and we're good. <laughs> Put her in the desert. We're great. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, though, I don't want to really downplay especially Bassett's work here. I think she accomplishes a lot of what you're talking about, especially her kind of coming over that adversity. Like the scene, the final scene with her and Ike in the car, I think does an amazing job of really selling like how far that she's gone. Even though it's kind of lifetime there's a lot of those moments that feel a bit too kind of like cornball TV movie of the week. But at the same time, she and Fishburne sell it so well. Throughout the whole movie, they do that. Yeah, well, I definitely agree. Uh, the chemistry they have is, is, you know, well, like I said, it's awful shit happening. But it's palpable chemistry. Like, they work, they look good on screen together. They work really well on screen together. It's just, I guess like you said, the material in any other hands would have been, a, you know, a lifetime burning bed movie of the week sort of material. Do you think it would have been um, anywhere near as good if they had any of these following choices they originally had in mind of Halle Berry, Robin Givens, Pam Greer, Whitney Houston, Janet Jackson, or Vanessa L. Williams for Tina? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> the only one in there that I could even see just because of the vocal range, but she wasn't that good of an actress, was Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of them, no. Like Halle Berry was way too young at this point. I could have seen Greer. I would argue Greer would have been. Yeah, Pam Greer could have been all right. I, I I feel like they got the best choice for both roles, for sure. Yeah, particularly also sort of like the strength there. Like we talked about when we did uh, Strange Days a while ago, uh, the massive mm-hmm. arms. Like she's oh, I know, dude. Her the arms fucking strength. I mean, Jesus Christ. Well, I'd like, and as you already said, we talked about, which I think we're both in agreement on, the, the best Bassett uh, sort of character work that she's done yet. Best Bassett, yes. Yeah, I think so. Best Bassett, for sure. Best Bassett. <laughs> Blue Ribbon. Blue Ribbon. Uh, um, but, and, and, you know, I, I also think at the same time, what I like is that, you know, given her appearance, you would figure like, oh, she is totally in charge and can, like, doesn't take any bullshit. But at the same time, I believe in the beginning how she could be kind of entranced by, like, an Ike. Because of, like, Fishburne's performance. Like, there's yeah. a lot of earlier scenes where he's manipulating her totally, like, putting on her string. I think Fishburne does a great job of selling that. Um, and, and even as, like, things go along and things are more disturbing, why she might be at least enticed to try and change him um, in that sort of cliche way that they do, which is like, oh, but I can change him, even though he's, like, doing all this horrible shit to me. Like, yeah. without the two of them there, that wouldn't, it would feel more and more like this isn't working at all. Yeah, I agree. I, but, th- I mean, that's, you know, that's the strength that those two actors still have, I'd argue. I mean, mm-hmm. Lawrence Fishburne kind of kind of stopped giving a shit a while ago, I think, but still... Uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to see any other two act off each other. I think they're absolutely brilliant together. I think uh, Lawrence Fishburne as Ike uh, comes off as not... He's very charming in the beginning, and he, even kind of throughout the movie, he's charming everyone but her. And he also feels like a legitimate threat. Like, he's terrifying. You feel like when the door is closed, you, you feel instantly like a sense of dread. I obviously can't say what was real, what was fake, what was sort of glamorized or over-exaggerated in the story. You know, I, I would hope that they wouldn't add fictionalized, you know, rape and things like that just to make the movie more exciting. Uh, but I, you know, it is Hollywood, so it wouldn't surprise me. You know, I think for, like I said, for what the story they're trying to tell, that they wanted to tell at this time, I think they hit all the buttons, sort of, uh, but it does not hold up. Not quite. No. I mean, this is the first time I ever saw it, so I keep in mind that I'm, com- I'm coming in with the glasses of having, like, you know, say, Walk Hard being one of my favorite comedies. Sure. And it's like that the cliches here are all hit upon in, like, a movie like that. But at the same time, I just feel like, you know, a lot of these biopic movies tend to, like, kind of live or die on the strength of, like, who's making it and who exactly are the people behind it. Um, I definitely think it's Bassett and uh, Fishburne's strength because it's not necessarily Brian Gibson's direction. Because it just feels very kind of flat and fine and, like, nothing much of interest. I'd argue that most biopics uh, live and die on not even who's directing, who's... It's who they got 
to play the lead and how much they look like them. Like that is a huge thing that people are like, oh, they don't even look like him. Or if they, it's a musical one, if they can sing. I would agree that that's the essential thing, but I would say certain other directors have kind of taken these co- concepts and like done something interesting. Like I would argue James Mangold would walk the line. Like, along with Walking Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon being as good as they are, I think Mangold made that movie, like, look much more gorgeous than a lot of those, especially considering around the same time That's as Ray, which looks yeah. muddy and shitty. Yeah, I gotta agree with that. And then we just got Rocket Man, which is just phenomenal. Right, and they did a lot of interesting different things with the biopic mm. format. And here, it's just like, it's really the actors, because everything else about it's very fine. Nothing terrible, necessarily, but kind of movie of the week. And it's yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Very enthusiastic, good pick from everybody for this one. Yeah, well, you know, I well, obviously we can cover Strange Days. You know, she's she's got a lot more prevalent television work than I realized. Yeah, and she's done a lot more really bit bit parts than I realized. So, to be honest, without having Strange Days as an option, it was kind of hard. No, yeah, and I sprung this up on you a bit quickly as well. Yeah, that's her on that. That's all right. Hey, man. Uh, Okay, don't do that to yourself. <laughs> but but no, yeah, I, at least I would argue it is at least the better of the two features we have today. Oh, yeah. Um, but let's get into that bad feature in a second. But first, Adam, your final thoughts on what's love got to do with it? If you want to see, like, a great, uh, arguably never better Lawrence Fishburne, I mean, this might be his best performance. If not, it ranks up and easily his top three. If you want to see a very still kind of green Angela Bassett really fucking going for it it's worth it for that if you're at all curious about tina turner and you want to sort of watch a hollywoodized version of it then go for it but it's not the worst movie we've done it's not the best movie we've done it's not even the worst musical biopic that i've ever seen this is close you know it's it's right in the middle it's it's average maybe be a little bit above average because of the strength of the two leads so i mean not the worst thing in the world, not the worst movie to watch. If you're at all curious about Tina Turner or even this era of music, then fuck, go for it. If not, if, you can skip it. Yeah, I, I completely see why Like the only sort of praise this got at the time really was for Bassett and Fishburne, uh, who were both nominated for Oscars. Uh, and to be fair, I get why they also lost, because Fishburne lost to Tom Hanks in Philadelphia, and Bassett lost to Holly Hunter in The Piano. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, though at least they got some kind of recognition. And, you know, I would at least, you know, say that, if nothing else, the fact that this still got Angela Bassett, like, so much work throughout the 90s and early part of the millennium, I'm sure it was, like, on the strength of this movie. It deserves so much credit alone for that. And on its face, like you said, it's above average, I would say. It's it's very standard biopic in a way that feels detrimental at points. I think exploitative a lot of the time with how it uses rape, quite frankly, as a crutch. And especially the physical violence as, you know, the way it does. I think particularly there's the scene where she gets dragged into uh, their bedroom and the kids are watching. Feels especially kind of like, this is a bit much, guys. But as it stands, I still think it's, um, you know, one of the better examples of this genre where there are so many more, like, much worse and forgettable ones that just don't Mm -hmm. work. Uh, This is one that would stand about, you know, above the mediocrity crop. Just above it, though. Because of those yeah. two actors, for sure. Yeah, but uh, before we get into our next feature, here's an ad for an ESO show you can queue up right after ours. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. You know how Disney kind of like puts films on an assembly line, but you know that when you're getting something from Pixar, because it takes so long to craft, that there's a lot of care put into it. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse playing worldwide on radio seven days a week your favorite podcast app and right here on the eso network all right let's get into our bad feature which is vampire in brooklyn for centuries they have roamed the earth now the world's last vampire is about to encounter something infinitely more terrifying than himself. Brooklyn. Eddie Murphy. Do I look like I would bite you? Angela Bassett. You bet not. Not after the day I've had. Women. Vampire in Brooklyn. So, Vampire in Brooklyn. Came out October 27, 1995. Um, and this is also interesting, Adam. This is the first Eddie Murphy movie we've covered for the show. 
Yeah, it is. How about that? I, it took me a second to realize that you are absolutely correct. Wow, what a shame. <laughs> I mean, he's been alternate choices a lot of times. That's and, true. And he ended up being uh, the winner in this case. And uh, we definitely will cover Eddie Murphy in more detail sooner rather than later. An episode is in the cards at some point in the near future um, for him because he had such a huge impact. And this is an interesting point in his career because this is mid-90s. This is right before Night Professor, I would argue, kind of made his comeback after, you know, 80s, obviously. He hit big. Everyone loved him. And then that first half of the 90s was just a lot of the shit that people forgot about. There's some good movies in there, like Boomerang, I would argue, is a fun movie for what it is. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the only good one of that crowd, because that's around the same time, like, another 48 hours. <laughs> or The Distinguished Gentleman. <laughs> or something oh. that I would really forget. Or Beverly Hills Cop 3. And uh, the interesting thing is this is sort of like the last big movie in his Paramount deal. Which, if you're unfamiliar, at when he started in 1982, he signed a massive deal with Paramount. And you'll notice any movie made with him between his start in 1982 and this movie is a Paramount movie. So, like, all the big 80s ones, and even some of these, like, really bad early 90s ones, all Paramount releases. And the big thing was he signed up to do this movie so they would relinquish the rights to Nutty Professor as a property so he could do it at Universal. So... You can kind of tell that he's not as quite invested (laughs) the whole time in this one compared to Night Professor. Yeah, I mean, this is just Eddie Murphy going through the fucking running the paces, you know, doing the different characters and different types of makeups and different accents and different everything else. And, you know, at its core, it's a cool idea, an updated version of Blackula. That's basically what it is. Yes. And it's a really cool idea where it's set in, you know, sort of seedy Brooklyn in the 90s. And I love that it's a, you know, basically all uh, black cast. Totally cool. But it just fails on so many levels. Like, it's tonally all over the fucking place. Like, they're just letting Eddie Murphy do his Eddie Murphy shtick. And then what's his name is his fucking limo driver. Kadeem Hardison. Oh, he drives me fucking nuts in this movie uh and then they got that whole shtick and then like i said Eddie Murphy didn't do characters and then there's scenes of extreme violence extreme gore when he is killing her roommate you know it's kind of, they try to throw real disturbing horror in there and it, it's just it's not done well enough there's no blend to it i agree with that sentiment but i don't think i'm nearly as harsh on this one because i chose this as my bad pick and i remember it being really bad when i first saw this when i was much younger i haven't seen this probably in like 20 something years because um, I remember at that time, my dad was introducing me to all the big Eddie Murphy movies, like 48 Hours or Trading Places or and Coming to America. And I was like, oh my god, this guy's so funny, so great. And even Night Professor was around not too long after that. And I was like, oh my god, so great, so great. And then I watched this one, I'm like, oh, he's really not good in this. Um, and I just don't really like this movie that much. And now coming back to it, having seen him bottom out many, many, many times since then um i would argue this actually isn't that bad when they focus more on the horror stuff i think because eddie murphy was very much at this time not interested in being that funny like there's that story where he went to um john landis on beverly hills cop 3 and said you know what john um i don't think axel wants to be funny this time i think he doesn't want to be funny and he was doing that a lot he was treating himself so seriously which is why I think he's more interested, as he said, in doing, like, a horror movie, being, like, an actual, like, alluring vampire. And I think that stuff with him, and especially Angela Bassett, works pretty well, especially because, like, I can believe Eddie Murphy is, like, the seductive vampire type. Maybe without that fucking hair. Well, he even said he hated that wig. That that oh, was, like, it's big so one. bad. <laughs> it's a really it's bad so wig. Bad. Um, <laughs> but I, at the same time, like, I think it works pretty well, but we're not doing especially the more overt, like, comedy set pieces. Like, I agree with you with her, Kadeem Hardison. Like, he does not work when he's doing, like, weird Beetlejuice shtick. When he's, like, decaying and falling apart and stuff like that. Feels very forced. Um, the only time I find him funny is whenever he's, like, with John Weatherspoon. Who's also in the movie in a supporting role. He, I always find fun. And especially there's, like, I think the one actually like, really funny bit of this movie is when his arm has fallen off. And he says, like, John Witherspoon says, look at you, you're the fugitive. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> and she's like, there's, they're like, those lines that feel more improvised work. But when it's, like, the more heavily scripted bits, 
it feels so much more like, okay, Eddie's doing, like, has to do this legally, and he does not want to do these comedy bits whatsoever. But when it's not doing that, I think it's kind of a fun, stylish horror movie, as done by a Wes Craven, which we should mention as a director. I don't disagree with you. I just think that the two major elements are so jarring against each other, because... Maybe it's because of Eddie Murphy. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's because he kind of doesn't give a shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like He's kind of, like I said, running through the paces. And the, other than Angela Bassett, the, most of the supporting cast, except for, like, I, I'd agree with Johnny Witherspoon, is pretty fucking terrible. Like, what's I, I don't know the actor's name, but the guy who plays Justice, everything I've seen him in, he's fucking, he's just awful. I know him from, like, CB4... And I believe New Jack City and shit like and I just I can't stand that fucking guy. No, and especially he has so many scenes with Bassett, and you can tell how like much there's a gulf in terms of oh, between the two. Oh, a gulf is putting it lightly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, 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 the Mariana Trench. The Mariana yeah. Trench, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> more apt. But even then, I don't think Murphy is completely interested when he's actually playing the seduction seductive vampire angle of it. I think Murphy's kind of, like, playing it in a way where he wants to prove himself as that kind of, like, oh, I'm a mysterious, sexy vampire character. Kind of like a William Marshall type. There's, a, I think, a really good scene when he's uh, romancing Angela Bassett in the cleaned-up version of the apartment, and they kind of, like, start twirling around, and almost like mm-hmm. they're kind of, like, sets, they're frozen still in the middle of, like, the spinning apartment and shit like that. That stuff, I think, really works. And I think, like, the two of them have that kind of interesting chemistry of, like, she's being seduced by this guy and is, like, regretting all the decisions that are being made. But I think the problem is more with, say, a Wes Craven, who, I mean, we've talked about him plenty of times as a director. Weird that we have not done an episode, but I think we've done, like, three or four Wes Craven movies in our time. Um, I think the problem is that, like, while Murphy has said, like, he was interested in doing more of, like, a traditional horror movie, Wes Craven really wanted to do more of a comedy. And I think you can tell that split, like, really hurts, especially with the way that it's directed. Because I feel like whenever it's, like, trying to be more overtly comedy, it feels so much like Wes Craven's just like, oh, I'm putting all of my interest in, like, these actors doing their funny bits, because they're funny. And I don't think Wes Craven, especially, his strength at all is with comedy, considering that's what ruins, say, A Last House on the Left for me. Is all the stupid bumbling comedy bullshit in that movie, uh-huh. um, and I think that's very much the case here, where it's just like Wes Craven's idea of funny. She's like, "Oh, let's let these two actors like babble, and we'll have fun with it." Like, even some yeah. of the later uh, Scream sequels had that problem. Any of the Jamie Kennedy shit post Scream One? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I think you're you're honest up there. Where Wes Craven was hoping that Eddie Murphy would hit him with some like really good improv and shit like that, and Eddie Murphy just didn't want to do it. He didn't want to be funny, you know. He, he, I agree with you when he is trying to be seductive and he's talking to her. I mean, he's he's doing really well. Like his his natural character accent, like the accent he's supposed to have or his original accent, where is pretty decent. I just find it more to be kind of like an uneven movie necessarily. I think especially when Murphy feels the most in pile mode is when you kind of mentioned he does do different characters at a certain point where he takes the form of the pastor character which is very contrived scene that just goes on forever. And you can tell, like, the whole gag is that he's improvising because he's a vampire dressed up as a priest and he doesn't know quite how to, like, fill time. But it feels genuine in that way where it's like, I don't want to be watching this. This is just lame. <laughs> he's just going on forever about, like, oh, uh, evil is good, like you mentioned. It's just, like, it goes on for fucking ever and it's not funny whatsoever. And then especially, I think that's the case when he does his other character, uh, where he goes full-on uh, Guido Italiano, um, which I'm not saying necessarily it's offensive to me as an Italian. I just think it's unfunny. It's offensive to me as a comedic fan. <laughs> yeah, it's so unfunny, and it's just, it's such a stereotypical accent where it's it, it just, it's bad. It's bad. Well, and especially, this is that weird point where, like, like I said, this is right before Nighty Professor, and only a few years removed from, like, a coming to America, and the right. makeup here is awful. It's so, so bad. bad. <laughs> like, like when he's the priest or the preacher or whatever, it like it looks like latex. Like it's yeah. so shiny and one toned. Like where the paint, there's no depth to it. it. And then when he's the Italian guy, oh, it's like an unnatural skin color. And it's just like it's just so bad. You couldn't put contacts in him or anything. Like it's just 
But even when he like vamps out, when he becomes sort of like a weird Buffy the Vampire Slayer oh. vampire, it also looks really terrible. And it looks almost like, is the base for this like icing? Because it looks like you just <laughs> applied icing to Eddie Murphy. <laughs> I know, I know. And like gave him like uh, shoulder pads. To put yeah. on because it gets like super buff for some reason. Like it's he, just, yeah, it's, he almost looks like uh, the evil version of the mask in the mask, like the when the bad guy puts on the mask. Yeah, like uh, uh, Dorian, right? Because he looks like Dorian. You're 100 percent right. <laughs> it's it's really bad, dude. Like it's super stupid, <laughs> and, and and they light the fuck out of it too. Yeah, they they light in a way where it's like they want to show off their work, and it's like you're not Rick Baker. Stop this. Yeah. Who did the makeup effects for this? Honestly, it's probably K and B, dude. Um, oh, I think it's it's David Anderson, who I believe is the guy that um, is with uh, uh, Heather Leggenkamp, um, and they they've done like a bunch of great makeups for stuff like Cabin in the Woods and Men in Black, and even oh, the Professor. That, he worked on it. Is that him, David yeah. Anderson? Yes. Okay, I didn't know his name. Um, yeah, but I mean, even at the same time, like the the it feels like this was more of like a rush job anyway. This, it feels like it's a, it, based on all the stories I've heard, it seems like a weird production where nobody's really interested in doing uh, much of anything the right way. Howard Berger, Robert Kurtzman, Greg Nicotero. Oh, okay, so they, K&B was it also was involved. K&B. Well, it was probably their studio, and then that David Anderson guy probably worked for them. Yeah, maybe. But like, it, it does definitely feel like this is not necessarily any of their best work. Because even like the, the vampire version of Eddie Murphy looks like, um, the worst version of like the From Dust Till Dawn vampires, which was just next year. It feels like this is more like everybody's kind of testing the waters because even like the horror comedy stuff for mm-hmm. Wes Craven, it feels like he's kind of testing the waters for Scream, which is also the next year. Right. But really, this is like sort of the jumping off point for so many better things in '96. Yeah, I completely agree with you. You're 100 percent right. He's testing his horror comedy uh, sort of chops to see what he does and what, what doesn't want to do, and to perfect it for the next movie. And KMB is doing the makeup. And like, all right, okay, here's how we don't want to make these fucking vampires so we can do it right in the next one. And even Murphy is like, oh, this is how I don't want to do Professor Clump. Multiple characters, uh, yeah. This is right, how I don't with, want to do, keep doing this, yeah. Right, right. It definitely, this is like an elaborate makeup test is what this movie could be right now fast. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's, it's, like a, it's somebody's real. Yes. It's like everybody in it's real. But at the same time, we should probably discuss more about Bassett, who is, I think, the best part of the movie. Oh yeah, she steals every she steals every minute of it. Yeah. She completely is believable as this sort of female cop who's sort of a badass and but longs for something else and has shut herself off from you know having genuine feelings and emotions for anybody. Uh, yeah, it's she's completely one hundred percent believable. She's super tough and hard as nails, but also incredibly fragile. And she's even able to sell some bullshit, like, how poorly put together is her whole backstory about her mom, who was like, oh, she worked in, like, the the Cayman Islands, and she ended up uh, studying supernatural stuff. Oh, God. Right. Which is all just (laughs) an elaborate excuse for, like, why she fits the prophecy, because her dad ended up being a vampire who was secretly, like, murdered off in the islands, and she thought, oh, he was just, like, some tragic accident, but no, he was, like, a vampire of some sort. The whole mythology's weird, too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I completely agree with you. So, is she the reincarnated version? Was Eddie Murphy her father at one point? Was <laughs> There's a lot of weird questions. A hunter, or what? Like, is he a goddamn Sasquatch somewhere? Like, what is going on? Yeah, no, I agree. It's so muddy. And it's all done mostly in, like, the voiceover. Like, there's some really bad voiceover of Eddie Murphy kind of, like, putting together the clues. Even at the very beginning when he talks about, like, oh, I went to Africa and I ended up, like, you know, preying on people there. It's like, show that. Like, even Blackula did that at the opening. It's, like, one of the cooler parts of Blackula is that bit where he actually shows up himself as, like, an African prince who became a vampire. Do some of that. This would have been a prime sort of movie that would have been really well done with, like, even, like, comic book illustrations in the beginning. Yeah. Or, you know, a- animated sequences and stuff to show off all these scenes happening. It totally would have benefited from it. And it would have, like, really worked, especially sort of, like, part of, like, the weird kind of black renaissance and horror that was going on in the early 90s. Yeah, like, you could have really done something. Like, this could have been up there with, like, a Candyman or uh, People Under the Stairs or Tales from the Hood, even, in terms yeah, of just, I like, agree. kind of exploring urban uh, kind of conceits with the black horror aesthetic in a really cool way. And it just, I think, really half-asses it when it's especially going full comedy. Yes, I completely agree with you. And also, so putting on his fucking ring made that guy a vampire. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> sure. And gave him the Caribbean accent and new clothes and the fucking hair. What? How stupid. How <laughs> fucking stupid. They weren't trying to tease a sequel. There's no fucking way. But no, Kazim Hardison had in his contract, he was clearly going to be the new vampire in Brooklyn. Another <laughs> vampire in Brooklyn. <laughs> but why even set up a stinger? Like, I don't understand the point. It's completely unnecessary. And it, it totally takes the logic out of any logic that is to be found in this movie. It's supposed to be, I guess, like a final gag for the movie. But it just doesn't. It, just, it, it feels really weird. Yeah, like I said, the Kadeem Hardis and stuff, I don't hate him as much as you do necessarily. But if I they just... had flipped it and Johnny Witherspoon was somehow bitten at one point. Oh, that would have been the funniest thing. It would have been hilarious. Especially him even as like the, the familiar would have been so fucking funny. Yeah, I completely agree. It's just Completely. like, oh, you're going to make me big and shiny. I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait, Mr. Vampire. <laughs> it would have been so fun. Like, and even, like, I love the bit, too, when, like, uh, he's trying to get uh, money out of Kadeem Hardison, and uh, Eddie Murphy just throws coins. He's just like, oh, thank you, sir. Uh, the trash guy comes on Tuesday, and uh, have a blessed night. <laughs> and yeah. just skimpers off in the corner. He's really funny in this movie. We should, like, we haven't talked about him before, but he recently passed, and it's such a bummer. Because that dude, even in the worst movies, he could be really funny. Even in the worst shit. He's always been sort of reliable as far as maybe getting a laugh out of you. Like, he's the only funny thing about Soul Plane. Uh, yeah, which is not saying much, to be honest. And he's also, like, the only funny thing about, like, the third Friday movie. Right. Or about, you know, quite a few movies he was in. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would have loved to have seen it sort of end that way instead of, oh, God, just it's so stupid. But no, back to Bassett. I think she's fine. Uh, she's definitely attractive, and it works for her when she's sort of like seducing Justice as the vampire. You get why someone would be attracted to her either as the vampire or not. I mean, she's a gorgeous woman. Yeah, I really like the scene actually where Eddie Murphy first tries to romance her at that weird reggae club, which yeah. is really odd. <laughs> like, I don't know. Was this a mid '90s thing where reggae clubs like this popped up? I mean, apparently, I don't know. I mean, I was. I was only like eleven when this came out, or twelve. I would I would have been too young for the Rastafarian clubs, but <laughs> but but that whole scene where like the snake tries to like come up and kill her, and then Eddie like stops it. I I really dig a lot of the chemistry going on between them in scenes like that, or even when like he reveals like, oh, I'm a vampire. I'm gonna like I've given you my powers. Just like why not? Why not just take it on with me? And she's like going through over-the-top, like, uh, big horror set pieces. Like, she's just walking around, like, the weird horror music video that happens at one point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where she's going, like, the grave, like, No, take it away! Pull it shit down. And, <laughs> yeah. I, I could easily see that Ryan Murphy saw this in the 90s and was like, I want to cast Angela Bassett and some stuff. And then that's why she's on, like, American Horror Story later. I wouldn't be surprised. She's so incredibly just capable in everything she's in. And, and as we've seen, steals the show quite frequently as well. You know, I never thought about it as far as being in the black sort of renaissance of horror movies we had in the early 90s and whatnot. But this absolutely, if done better, could have fit right in there. No, yeah. And I think it's it's another thing of like, I've seen so much worse from Murphy, though, and I've seen so much worse from even Wes Craven, and even for horror comedies. Like, at least it lifts up like half of that for me, the horror half of it, to a point where that at least makes it watchable, I would argue. Not mm -hmm. good, but I would say a bit more watchable than a lot of, like, the worser things from any of the people involved. I, I will say, this is not the worst either Eddie Murphy or Angela Bassett film. There are worse, and I'd argue far worse in both both accounts. It's not even the worst Wes Craven movie. It's, it's just, it's a very sort of disappointingly average movie. The, everything was there. The formula was there. The cast was there. The, the director was there. The makeup effects guys were there. Instead, you kind of get this, you know, meandering below to maybe just that average line movie. Yeah, even, like, I, I agree to the point where, like, so much is here that I could say this would be a not a bad candidate to actually remake. Because it's the perfect kind of movie to do so with. I think you can take a lot of the skeletal stuff and turn this into something much better. Oh, definitely, dude. And there, I mean, there's actors out there who would just fucking crush these roles. Like, dude, right off the bat, fucking Chiwetel Ejiofor is the fucking yes. vampire. I've been saying Don't. it for years. If you're, I guess you couldn't necessarily make a movie called Blackula. Blackula. <laughs> but yeah, not now, but like, just remake Vampire in Brooklyn and make it basically a Blackula remake. And you could probably yeah. get him to do it. Yeah, dude, he'd be perfect. Uh, but, you know, it's just, yeah, this, I think this could work. And I think, you know, there's not a lot you'd have to change, to be honest. 
Uh, there's not a lot of really racially insensitive stuff other than, you know, like when Eddie Murphy becomes the Italian guy. Or I think there's a couple lines some of the, like, other cops say to, like, Justice and her, like some of the white cops. Yeah. You could make this just a straight horror. You wouldn't even need comedy. Or you could go the full comedy route. Weirdly, I think if you're going to keep the comedy, I would say the weirdly the funniest things for me were these weird moments um, where you do have some of the gore involved. Where, like, at the beginning, when Eddie Murphy ends up uh, killing one of the two gangsters and he's just throwing around limbs. I thought yeah, that, yeah, I don't yeah. know if that was intentionally funny, but it kind of was just really hilarious to me. <laughs> Seeing just juggle limbs and shit. And also when he kills that police dog. Which also, a lot of animal violence in this movie, I did not remember. <laughs> With, between him and the cat for the Italian guy. Oh, yeah! <laughs> Hey, whatever. You know, fuck cats. I got two of them. I hate them. <laughs> but even, like, the dog bit, I also kind of like that. That's one of the few funny Kadeem Hardison things where it's just like, oh, I'm glad about what you do. Because <laughs> fuck cops. Like, if you're going to remake, I would definitely say lean more toward the horror. And I don't know unless, you know, Adam, is there any final thoughts you have about Vampire in Brooklyn? I mean, not really. I, like I said, it's a, it's kind of a disappointing film. It could have been way more than what you ultimately get. Uh, I think there's some good bits to it. Uh, I think Eddie Murphy's fine in it. Like, he's clearly bored and doesn't want to do it. But when he's trying to, like, be the seductive William Marshall-style vampire, it works. Angela Bassett's great in it. It looks decent. Uh, but, yeah, it's just, meh. If you haven't seen it and you're either, A, a Wes Craven completionist or even a vampire movie completionist, uh, check it out. I don't think there's many Eddie Murphy completionists out there, so I'm not going to recommend it to you them. Brave souls. <laughs> yeah, dude, way to go. To let me know how Meet Dave was, or don't ever. <laughs> yeah, if you're one of those two groups, then yeah, check it out. If you're a fan of vampire movies, cool. Wes Craven, cool. Or even like uh, black centric horror films. Uh, though I would argue leaning more into some of the like sort of black stuff. I think might actually work. Like I said, the stuff where he's in oh, Africa, or even like some of like you know the comment on police brutality. Especially if you're going to remake it now, probably be a good time to. Yeah kind of implement that you would have to yeah um and also by the way if you're gonna remake it my uh, candidate for angela bassett would be uh, tayona paris from chirac and a few other things i have no idea who that is she's very good uh she's a very underrated actress i feel and i think she could have a fun job uh taking her own spin on this and i mean like i said i just think it works pretty well when the horror stuff happens and when the comedy stuff happens it's very uh miss and very occasionally hit in that department, mostly because of Witherspoon. R.I.P. Yeah, that's uh, the end of our discussion of our two movies. I, this is one of those times where, like, we've talked about, like, when we have disparity between our two, like, our good and our bad feature. I'd argue this is, like, small, one of the smaller gulfs between, like, two movies and one of our features. Horn yeah, I, I agree. This would be, like, the prime candidate for a, a second sort of go at it. Yes, but... That is the end of our discussion of our two features, celebrating Angela Bassett. But we're not done yet, because we're going to be doing our picking at the very end of the episode for next week, so stay tuned for that. Um, and we also have some feedback to read um, over at Pod on Facebook and Twitter. We ask all of you every week, like, hey, what are your best or worst uh, movies for whatever topic we're doing? And uh, so for Bassett... We asked all you, and uh, some of you commented, like Stephen D. at Waiting FTH says, get genuinely excited whenever she pops up in something, uh, but she's the best thing in Strange Days, which is a film full of great things already. Uh, Larry Sternshine at Double H55 uh, on Twitter says, first thing that comes to mind is Strange Days, though I also like What's Love Got to Do With It and Critters 4. Um, and then James Rodriguez says, uh, whether her roles uh, are a lead or a supporting um, Angela Bassett can deliver a phenomenal portrayal. Uh, some of her best work has been in Malcolm X, Strange Days, What's Love Got to Do With It, Boys in the Hood, and I love her in Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, it takes a special kind of film to waste her talents, though, and the double bill of Olympus in London has fallen managed to do just that. Uh, special mention to Green Lantern, as her Nick Fury-esque role amounted to much less than the talented actress deserves. And then uh, Jen Farah says, uh, honestly, my favorite role is when she played Marie Laveau in on American Horror Story. She was a badass bitch, and she is fierce as hell. And yeah, I mean, I can agree with that. Um, I, I, I don't know, I haven't gone to the, this history, um, but in my earlier podcasting days, I did an American Horror Story recap show. 
mm-hmm. um, back when I was kind of interested in that show in the first couple seasons. <laughs> right, that's exactly where I'm at. I tapped out before Coven even happened, man. Like, oh. Freak Show was enough. Freak Show was enough for me. Well, no, but... Coven was the season before that. Oh, that's right. Coven was number three, right? Yeah, it went um, the Murder House one and which, um, the As- Asylum, which I like those two seasons. Oh, I love the first two seasons. I think they're absolutely fantastic. I don't know why I ever watched Coven then, because I did definitely check out some of Freak Show. And, uh, oh, fucking well, I mean, hell. They're anthologies. Oh, you know, what, you, know, you know what? I'm lying. I liked Hotel as well, actually. I didn't mind Hotel. Interesting. That's where I, I tapped out after that point, because that was mainly, it was the weird thing when I was on that show, where, like, I, we started with season two, and I loved Asylum so much. And then Coven mm-hmm. is messy, really messy. But at the same time, there's a few fun bits. Like, I think Bass in particular is the highlight of that season. Sure. Um, I think that, wasn't that the first season she was in, right? Yes, yes. And yeah. Kathy Bates, first season of Kathy Bates. And Kathy well. Bates, who was also very good, yes. Um, and then Freak Show, I agree, is like one of the worst te- seasons of television I've ever sat through. Oh, it's so fucking so bad. So fucking bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. I knew, like, the first episode, I was like, oh, okay, where are they going? And then by episode two, I'm like, oh, motherfucker, this well, no, is I, just... I like the twisty the clown stuff early on in particular. Yeah, but they don't do anything like it. No, I, are, I would argue they did complete the twisty the clown stuff. Like, I think it's episode four or so where they reveal his backstory and stuff. Yeah. And they gave him, like, a complete arc. That's, to be fair, in the four episodes, it's, like, the only good arc of that season. Yeah, um, but then it's like they kill him, and then you get fucking Wes Bentley showing up, and you're like, oh, God, Well, right, Wes Bentley shows up, but that's a weird thing where Finn Witchrock, that was also my introduction to Finn Witchrock. Yeah. Who, yeah. initially, I hated on that show, as I think it was Dandy was his character. Yeah. I yeah. really hated him initially, but then as the season went on, he also had weirdly, like, oh, at least he's doing weird shit. And that dude's not one of my favorite kind of, like, character actors that pops up in things. I dig that dude a lot. Yeah, um, he's really good. Yeah, he's really good in other things, uh, and even that. But um, and then hotel, I was just kind of like, okay, this is more in like coven territory. But at the same time, I'm leaving on this mediocre note. <laughs> I don't want to keep going after this. I, I I watched hotel. I liked hotel, uh, just because I'm really like sort of interested in the the actual stories of the the Chelsea Hotel and stuff like that. And and Evan Peters was really great in that season too. As like the weird. Oh yeah, he's. Guy, yeah. yeah, he was fantastic. Lady Gaga was good in it. Yes. I mean, you know, uh, there's a lot of good performances in it. It's just, you know, uh, that was it for me, though. After that one, I didn't go any further. No, neither did I. I didn't go to Roanoke or whatever the oh, fuck God, else they've done. God, and Cult. And then what's the new one, like 84 or something like that? I guess. I don't know. I, I don't just, give even, a fuck. Even as a horror <laughs> fan, I'm just like, this, this feels dumb. <laughs> I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> Did you hear that they're going to do it where, like, they're doing, like, this new revelation of, like, oh, each episode is self-contained, like, a regular horror anthology? Oh, is that what they're going to try to do? Well, I think they're doing, like, a spinoff or something, where it's that. Oh, good, because that's what we need. More spinoffs from mediocre horror shows. And we need more Ryan Murphy shows. He doesn't have enough shows yeah, on television. No, yeah, he hasn't proved himself at all. No, he's not done that. Like, oh, name for... five Ryan Murphy shows on the air right now. <laughs> I don't know that that's hard. No, it's not. That's the joke. I don't watch that. Look, Fatima Matters, Angel Bassett's great. Okay, she's one of the best, not just African American female character actors, but just one of the greatest female character actors, and one of the better, just straight period character actresses uh, or actors, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I mean, I've been a fan of her since I first saw her. Like I said, Strange Days, I fucking love. I love her in that movie, and main part of the reason I love that movie as much as I do is because of her her so i'll always like angela bassett like no matter what she does she still looks great she's still got the chops i just hope that she gets that fucking like real meaty break like she was even great in black panther and by the way yeah. should have been storm for god's sakes right should have been storm I, anyways, I definitely agree with that because was she up in contention for it and they just chose halle berry instead or was or was that one of those like wizard casting things along with like Danzig oh, as Wolverine or something? Yeah, no, it was definitely a wizard. <laughs> it was definitely a wizard casting thing. Yeah, but it was also one like so was Patrick Stewart, mm-hmm. and she it was like her and Patrick Stewart were the two where it was like if they ever make this movie, if they don't get these two, they're fucking stupid. And Patrick Stewart's announced you're like hell yeah, and then you see someone in a white wig, you're like oh, and it turns as Halle Berry, you're like oh no. So I mean, but. 
I think they could still give her something fucking real meaty to do, man. Mm-hmm. Like, God forbid, dude, if the next Mad Max movie, you want to bring Auntie Entity back? There you go. Fuck yeah. Should be perfect. Yeah, I think they're doing, like, what, the Furious, a prequel? You could put an Auntie You could Entity. absolutely have Auntie Entity in it. Yeah. I want to hear Angel Bassett say, Welcome to Thunderdome. Two men enter, one man leave. <laughs> like, fuck yeah. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Who run by the town? then have her sing fucking when you need another hero again do it and give back that dude with the fucking saxophone no he's got the mind of a child (laughs) I recently rewatched those movies and even if that one is the weakest one of those movies it's still still so so much fun it's so fun it's totally all in that like first Thunderdome half yeah I agree I I mean you know not to go off on a tangent but how dare you? We didn't just go on a American Horror Story tangent or anything. I mean, if, if you go the original three, it's two, three, one. I think, personally. I would argue two, one, three. Well, I don't really care what your opinion is. <laughs> but even then, also, Fury Road, admittingly, like, man, well, that's number like, one. Past. Yeah. Hey, that's thing something with Road Warriors involved. Like, that's one of the best action movies ever made, and they managed to, I'd argue, topple over that slightly. Um but anyway, Angela Bassett. Um, <laughs> I, I agree with you. Obviously, I think a lot of good ones were mentioned. Like she, like, and then even in like a Black Panther that you talked about, some of the ones mentioned, like Malcolm X or Boys in the Hood or even Mission Impossible Fallout. She plays smaller roles, but adds a lot of gravitas to those smaller roles. Like even in in Mission Impossible Fallout, she has to convincingly make you believe they're like, oh yeah, Henry Cavill would follow everything she said, and she does, even though he's a mountain of a man. <laughs> oh my god, dude, he's so terrifying in that movie. Yep. <laughs> When he cocks his arm and beats up that little kung fu guy in the bathroom, you're like, oh my god, he's gonna murder him. Yeah, in the same way, like, it's weird how, like, the contrast is, like, the two authority figures of, like, the CIA versus uh, the MIF are, like, her and Alec Baldwin. I know. And Alec Baldwin, you're like, just, shut up, Alec Baldwin. Well, especially, like, (laughs) he has the one really weak part of that movie to me when, like, they're in the underground territory and, like, he has to, like, convincingly beat up on Henry Cavill. And it's clearly just, like, some 30 Rock cutaway shit where it's just like, ugh, ugh. I'm punching you a bit. And then you're like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. Like I said, like I always reference, it looks like Sean Connery in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah. Throwing punches like he's like he's tough and kicking guys' ass. Or you can tell whoever he's fighting is like probably like holding him by the hip so he doesn't topple like <laughs> off screen so they can't see him. Then they he's probably beating up a Henry Cavill dummy. Just like, Ugh. yeah, Oh, dude, 100%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, someone mentioned particularly, like, uh, you know, Spike Lee's coming out with a movie this particular week, um, and mm-hmm. uh, Malcolm X is one of my favorite, like, oh, God, so in general. And she does a great job, especially, like, she's playing a traditional kind of, like, supportive wife role, but she built, brings a lot of gravitas to that. Yeah, she brings so much meat to it, dude. Yeah. She's so good as Betty. I mean, she's absolutely fantastic. And in the list of Spike Lee films, that's probably my favorite movie he's done. Uh, if not, it's in my top, like, are switching between that and another constantly for number one. I, I love that movie. And yeah, she's absolutely fantastic. Spike Lee's made three perfect movies to me. It's 25th Hour, Malcolm X, and Do the Right Thing. Yep, yep, and yep. Those are my three as well. And 25th Hour and Malcolm X are always sort of fighting for top spot for me. Like, he can do as much bullshit as he wants, and he'll still have, like, three perfect fucking movies. But Black Klansman, I mean... Yeah, Black is sh- also very close to them. Yeah, like, he makes, he still has the fucking chops, but they don't make, you know, the sweet blood of Jesus, and you're like, what the fuck <laughs> is this? Right. I think he's, <laughs> he's on a bit of an upswing, though, based on everything, especially I've heard about the Five Bloods. Yeah, it looks like it, and that looks fucking yeah. awesome. So. Yeah. Um, but we also had some feedback we wanted to read, not related to Bassett, but in reference to one of our earlier episodes a few weeks ago from a Bill Lemond, uh, who says, uh, I've enjoyed the handful of your episodes that I've heard, but your Family Films episode stands as as especially wonderful for two reasons. One, I love that you're reviewing children's movies. I've always wanted to be a dad, and just thinking about children's movies cheers me up. Two, your group is merrier uh, for being more. Uh, I love that at least one of you brought on your children to speak about Cat in the Hat, even though you disagreed with her. I've heard so many great things about the Paddington movies. The Bechdel cast also loves it. Both movies are somewhere in my DVD queue for Netflix, and I'm looking forward to you covering No Retreat, No Surrender on your martial arts episode, as I've seen it riffed live when the great cheesy movie circus MSC3K live tour uh, came around, and I've also um, heard it roast on riff tracks. Thanks for helping me pass the time, especially on my cleaning job. And thank you, Bill. We both really appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you, Bill. And yes, I did disagree with her, and uh, we've had long talks since. 
yeah, we're still we're not okay yet. We're still not okay. Yet. <laughs> we're not okay. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and thank you all for that feedback in general. Also, thanks to uh, Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarter for the art for our show. And uh, you know what? Also, we're going to do something, uh, given you know, times are kind of weird right now. Um, you might have noticed in the previous episode I posted uh, some links to a charity that you can donate to in these kind of trying times. And so I'm going to try and do this every week, try and put like some kind of charity that you might be able to either donate to or at least spread around for people. In these kind of times, and this time it's a GoFundMe that was started by uh, Chris Red of SNL uh, for COVID testing and injury uh, medical bills for protesters. It'll be in the description below. I think it's a really good cause, and I would recommend everybody, at least like I said, either share or donate if you can to that. Yeah, absolutely. I like Chris Red, man. He's so underused on SNL too. Dude, so underused. He's so funny. He's he's like, like Jay Farrow before him. Yeah, him and Popstar. Good God, he's so fucking funny. Hunter the Hungry. <laughs> uh, uh, I didn't do that shit, but I did though. Nah, nah. Popstar's another one we need to do on the show at some point. Oh fuck, dude! I do that. I would do that movie right now. I would literally. <laughs> we could make this an hour and a forty-five minute episode. I could talk about that movie in detail without having watched it in like two months. <laughs> I love that movie. Uh, well, to find more of our silly antics, you can follow us on at DEDBpod on Twitter and Facebook. Um, or if you know, if you have some money left over to just donate $1 a month, you can follow us on patreon.com slash GEDBpod, where just for that $1, you get bonus podcasts and also polls you can vote in. In fact, right now, Adam, as we're uh, releasing this episode, there's a poll up for your picks for an upcoming episode uh, that we're going to do on the AFI Top 100 Movies episode uh, we'll be doing at uh, the end of the month toward 4th of July. And uh, what are your two hot take picks for that? Uh, Forrest Gump. Which is dog shit, and ET, which is just kind of bland, boring shit. Oh man, Adam, oh, I'm I'm feeling the heat on these hot takes. Yeah, Ooh, you know what? So uh, come on, man, come on. If Forrest, Forrest Gump is one of those fucking movies when it came, it was like Avatar when it came out and was like, it's my favorite movie I've ever seen. Oh my god! <laughs> and then like a year later, you're like, this is so fucking stupid and bad. Yeah, the, the, he fucking the smiley what, face what, thing. What? Hold on, hold on, save it if we do it. No, 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 it's it that fucking. Okay. Oh god. All right. Yep. I'm saving it. I'm well, saving it. You know, if you it. want more of that, you can vote I'm for it in the poll. I'm gonna have nightmares tonight. Now, now I'm gonna have nightmares. <laughs> Uh, you can also uh, find more of me on uh, my own individual accounts. I'm at not the who's Tommy on Twitter and Instagram. And I also do some writing at marianithomas.wordpress.com. That's where I do like reviews and stuff. In fact, right now I have a review up for The Vast of Night, which is a movie streaming now on Amazon Prime that I thoroughly recommend as it is now my favorite film of the year so far. Oh, I got to check that out then. Up my alley, you think? Um, I'll say this. It takes place in the 1950s. And it's okay. about alien invasion, but in sort of like an A24 aesthetic. Okay, so yeah, maybe. It might be down. Maybe? I don't know. I don't know. What the fuck? I don't know. Uh, I, don't know. I, don't know. I don't know where, I don't know where I'm going to be. You know what I mean? No, of course. Because uh, you can find Adam probably somewhere in Brooklyn trying to find that ring and become a vampire. Yeah, right. I just go to Kadeem Harrison's fucking studio apartment, wherever the fuck that might be. <laughs> Get that shit. Yes, and uh, for more of our shit, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or other podcasting platforms. If you're on the ESO network, why not dig into the archives of our Podbean channel for several episodes we did before You know, we joined the network? And then also you can rate, review, or even just share us around. That helps us get more visibility out there. Yeah, not that hard. You know, and I, I do just want to say, too, uh, thanks to all of our loyal listeners for sort of sticking with us. Uh, lately, we've had a couple delayed episodes, like this one's delayed, last week's was delayed. It's just in light of things that are going on and, you know, personal self-care and, and things like that. You know, it's a very sort of troubling time we're all going through right now. And I, and I don't mean to sort of uh, get too serious or deprive anybody f from our show if it is a means of escapism for anybody. I know it is for both of us as well, just recording it. Uh, but, you know, sometimes uh, uh, life uh, uh, finds a way, and uh, uh, there it is. <laughs> it gets in the way. It sometimes does. Uh, yeah, well said. I, I agree with all that. That is one huge pile of shit. <laughs> now, some people might say that about our episodes as well. But, maybe not next week's, 
because we gotta do our picking for next week, Adam. And I'm very curious about this because you know it's it's Pride Month, as we've mentioned yes. in the show. And we decided, you know, let's cover some uh, maybe a director who might be in the LGBTQ sort of atmosphere. And uh, we're definitely gonna do that with um, arguably the most primary and sadly like only mainstream voices uh, who are trans in uh, sort of the director's sphere with the Wachowskis. Yep. Uh, yeah, Lana and Lily. Yes. So we are going to cover two films from these two, I think, very interesting directors. And it's especially interesting because um, I know you're not that big a fan, right, in general of their work? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's one. There's one movie that I'm good with. And the rest of them, I'm like, yeah, mediocre The Matrix shit. Revolutions, right. That's your favorite. Oh, well, hold on. Oh, well, put a pin in that, because you have the bad choices, uh, given your uh, general position. And I have the two good choices here on my end, because I would say I've become more of a fan, especially as of the last couple of years of their work. Um, but uh, let's go ahead and, uh, you know, for as we always do, if you're new, um, Adam will pick a number between 1 and 10 for my two good choices of a sign number between 1 and 10 for, whichever is the gets closest will be our good feature and i'll do the same for his two bad picks so adam for my two good ones number between one and ten well since there's two of them we'll go number two okay you know at number one i had one that's i think been a previous bad pick for you um it's their oh, sem- it's, it's their original feature bound from oh okay yeah i'm good on a rewatch on that after i suggest it as a bad one like i might actually like that movie i don't know i haven't seen it in a while yeah so i'm good on that Okay, what was your other one? At number seven, I had Speed Racer, which I would argue is a very underrated blockbuster from 2008. A big summer, and one that got lost in the shuffle. I I know I've seen it once. I don't remember having any feelings about it either way. I remember Uh, really hating it the first time and loving it that second time. That's probably probably exactly where I was at, too. (laughs) All right, your turn. Okay, so you picked two. So how about I do some uh, multiplication and go with uh, two times two is four. At number six, I have Jupiter Ascending. I figured this would probably be one. Oh, dude, because it's such a garbage fire of a boar fest. It is one of the ones I would say I'm not a fan of, but... That's good. That's good. Yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> number one at Matrix Revolutions. Yeah, that I, that I think is their worst movie. It's not good. Yeah, you know, we've discussed it before, and and you said, you know, you think it's the worst of the two sequels, and I mean, I definitely agree, because at least two has that really good, like, freeway chase scene, and, like, the ghost twin guys are kind of cool and all that shit, where the third one is just garbage. We'll probably bring up all of that next time, but until then, Adam, it's time to go up on stage and start singing that Proud Mary. Let's do it. I am not going to be a part of that. No, bring your saxophone, your mesh shirt, you're going to do it. Big wheels keep on turning. And I still believe. (laughs) Good night. Good night. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.